Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons today on Paul's letter to the Philippians. And by way of background, I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 85. Psalm 85, let us hear God's holy word. Lord, you have been favorable to your land. You have brought back the captivity of Jacob. You have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all their sin. You have taken away all your wrath. You have turned from the fierceness of your anger. Restore us, O God, of our salvation, and cause your anger toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth have met together, Righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him, and shall make his footsteps our pathway. The text for the sermon today can be found in Philippians chapter 1, The verses 1 and 2, these words. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This ends the reading of God's holy word. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to our hearts. Dear friends, years ago when people still wrote letters to each other, they always followed the same basic format. First there was the address, dear John, and so on. Then there was the body, which consisted of all the things that the person writing the letter wanted to convey. And then finally there is the sign-off, in which they signed their name. Now, usually, the address of the letter is the least important. We tend even to skip over it and get right to the body of the letter. But we should never do that with respect to the letters of the Apostle Paul. Also here, the Holy Spirit would have something to say to us. Now, his address to the Philippians is no exception. We can find this address in the words of our text, Philippians 1, verses 1 and 2, which we just read. There Paul writes, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So with God's help, we want to take a closer look at these words, and we do so under the theme, Paul's address to the church at Philippi. 
we'll consider, first of all, its humble senders, secondly, its holy recipients, and thirdly, its gracious greeting. Paul begins his letter by identifying the senders. Now, we do this as well. Only our practice is to identify ourselves at the end of the letter. But Paul, following the conventions of his time, identifies the senders of this letter at the beginning of the letter. Well, who are the senders? Who are the ones writing this letter? Well, the answer is Paul and Timothy. Now, you notice that the Apostle Paul includes Timothy in his address. He did so not because Timothy wrote part of the letter. He didn't. The letter was written solely by Paul. And we know that because throughout the letter, Paul uses the first person singular, I, not we. And what is more, as an apostle, he alone would have been inspired by the Holy Spirit, not Timothy. Paul included Timothy in his address because Timothy was with him while he was under house arrest in Rome. And we know that because in chapter 2, verse 19, Paul promises the Philippians that he would send Timothy to them shortly. What is more, Timothy helped Paul establish the church at Philippi. And as such, Timothy was well known to the Philippians and much appreciated as well. There was a bond of love between the Philippians and Timothy, and Timothy and the Philippians, and Paul knew this, and so he included Timothy in his address. You notice, too, how Paul refers to himself and Timothy as bondservants of Jesus Christ. Now, in most of his other letters, Paul introduces himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ, and thereby appealing to his apostolic authority. But here he introduces himself and Timothy as bondservants. Now, the Greek word here actually means slave. Slaves were very common in the first century AD. Almost anyone with means owned at least one or several slaves. And their task was to perform all the menial work in the household. Now, Paul and Timothy were also slaves, but they were slaves of a different sort. They were not slaves of a rich man who were assigned menial tasks. No, they were slaves of Jesus Christ, called to do the work of his kingdom. By using this word, Paul is emphasizing the fact that both he and Timothy belonged to Jesus Christ. And they did, because he purchased them by his blood. And he also called them to the ministry of the word. And as such, they belonged to him. He was their Lord, and they were his slaves. And as such, they owed him everything. They owed him their time, their money, what little they had, and even their very lives. They were utterly and completely at his disposal. Now this, in fact, is true not only for Paul and Timothy, but for all believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, you are his slave now, some may cringe at this. After all, who wants to be a slave? But then we need to keep in mind that every man is a slave to someone or something. None of us is the master of our own fate. None of us is the captain of our own soul. No matter how strongly we may deny it, the fact is that every one of us is a slave. And we're either a slave to sin and Satan, or we are a slave to Jesus Christ. So I ask you this morning, to whom or to what are you a slave? 
To what or to whom are you in bondage? Well, believe me, friends, it is far, far better to be a slave of Jesus Christ than to be a slave of Satan. For those who serve sin and Satan will only perish in the end. But those who serve the Lord Jesus Christ will live to all eternity. Well, you say, if that is the case, then how then can I become a slave of Jesus Christ? It's really very simple. You must repent of your sin, and you must believe on his name. You see, the Lord Jesus was also a slave, a slave of his father. And as a slave, he came to do the will of his father, which was to proclaim his word and to suffer and die for the sins of his people. And that's exactly what he did. And now he is no longer a slave, but he is the risen and exalted king. And to him has been given all power and all authority in heaven and on earth. And one day he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Until that day comes, he invites sinners to come to him. And those who do, he will make his slaves and ultimately will bring them with him to glory. And he is by far the kindest, most compassionate, loving master that we could ever receive in this life. And so if you do not know this Savior, if you're not a slave of Jesus Christ, will you not come to him today? Paul, therefore, boldly, confidently, and without shame, identifies himself and Timothy as slaves of Jesus Christ. But how does he describe the Philippians? Well, that brings us to our second point. After identifying himself and Timothy as the senders of this letter, Paul goes on to address his recipients. And who are they? Well, Paul tells us, all the saints who are at Philippi. Now, you'll notice this letter is addressed to saints. Now, when Roman Catholics speak of saints, they refer to exceptionally holy men and women who have already gone to heaven, and who can make intercession for believers on earth. But friends, that is utterly false. For one thing, believers who have gone to heaven cannot make intercession for believers on earth, no matter how holy they were. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can do that, because he and he alone is our heavenly high priest. He and he alone is able to function as our mediator and intercessor between God and man. For another thing, saints live not only in heaven, but also on earth. If you are a believer on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a saint. But what does that mean exactly? Well, the Greek word for saint is derived from a word that means holy. Saints, therefore, are people who are holy. Now, that doesn't mean that they are without sin. Because the Bible teaches that no man is without sin. Not even any believer is without sin. We are sinners by nature, and we will remain sinners until the day that we are glorified. But this means simply that believers are set apart. That's what the word holy means. It means to set apart. And such were the Philippians. And such are all true believers in Jesus Christ. They are saints. They are people who are set apart by God to worship, to serve, and to live for him and his glory. 
Secondly, notice that this letter is also addressed to the bishops and deacons. Well, who are these people? Well, they're the office bearers of the church. There were two kinds of offices in the New Testament church. First of all, there were the extraordinary offices. And this includes the offices of apostle, prophet, and evangelist. Then in addition to the extraordinary offices, there were the ordinary offices. And this includes the office of elder, deacon, and pastor. Now we are familiar with the office of deacon, but who are the bishops? Normally when we think of a bishop, we think of a church leader who is set in authority over other church leaders. And that's common in a church that has a hierarchical form of church government, such as the Roman Catholic Church and the Anglican Church. But that's not the meaning here. The Bible nowhere teaches that some office bearers have authority over other office bearers. They are all equal in the sight of God. What then are the bishops? Well, the word bishops is simply another name for elders. The two words, in fact, are interchangeable. The word elder emphasizes the age of the person who serves in that office. They're not usually young men, but older and more mature men. That's what's conveyed by this word elder. The word bishop that's used here in our text emphasizes the work of the elder. They are the overseers of the flock, which is what the word bishop means. Now from this we learn that already very early on in the the development of the New Testament church, there were office bearers. And these office bearers were of two kinds. There were elders and there were deacons. The deacons were responsible for the material needs of the congregation. The elders were responsible for the spiritual needs of the congregation. And they also had the task of ruling the congregation, overseeing the doctrine and life of the members, and administering discipline in the name of Christ. Now significantly, this is the only time in his letters that Paul opens with a greeting to the office bearers of the church. Normally he mentions only himself. He will often say something like, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and so on, but he won't make mention of the office bearers. But here he does. So the question is, why? Why does he specifically address this letter to the office bearers? Well, we can't be sure, but it's possible that Paul was dropping a subtle hint to the congregation. You may recall from a previous sermon, that one of the problems in the church at Philippi was disunity, especially between these two prominent women, Yodius and Syntyche, whose names are mentioned in chapter 4 of this letter. And it's possible that by mentioning the elders and deacons at the beginning of this letter, Paul was reminding the congregation that the Lord Jesus Christ had given them office bearers. He had given them elders who are invested with authority to oversee their doctrine and life and whom they must obey. And he's also given them deacons who are servants, who care for their material needs and who show them how to care for others with the compassion of Jesus who came not to be served but to serve. And knowing this, they should be very careful about doing anything that might negatively affect the unity of the church. Well, we learn here that for a church to function properly, there must be office bearers. 
There must be elders and deacons and a pastor. And it's important to emphasize this today. Because many churches today do not have functioning office bearers. They have pastors who do all of the work, but they don't have elders and deacons. They would have a kind of a church board that would, that would kind of oversee things, mostly administrative matters relating to the church. And then there are other churches, like house churches, that don't even have pastors. But dear friends, this is wrong. A true biblical church consists of office bearers and believers. And aside from the minister, the office bearers must be of two kinds. There must be elders and there must be deacons. This is the way that Christ is pleased to feed and to govern his church. A church that does not install elders and deacons is not in sync with the will of Christ for his church. So let me ask you, does your church have office bearers? And if so, do they function properly in their office? Do the elders visit the congregation? Do they provide the necessary spiritual leadership and counsel? Do they administer discipline when necessary? Do they properly oversee the preaching of the word of God? Do they rule the flock in love and humility? And what about the deacons? Do they visit the sick and the elderly? Are they ready to help those who are in need? Are they compassionate and merciful like Christ? Oh, blessed is that church that has such office bearers. That is a church that will prosper under the blessing of the Lord. And so Paul addresses his letter to the saints and to the bishops and deacons. But he also imparts to them a wonderful greeting. And that brings us to our third and final point. Like all letters in the ancient world, Paul's letter to the Philippians contains a greeting. And it's recorded in verse 2. It goes like this. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now there's nothing unique about this particular greeting. Paul uses the same greeting in all of his letters. In Reformed churches, it has become the standard greeting or salutation spoken by the minister at the beginning of the worship service. But what does it mean? Well, you'll notice that this greeting consists of two significant words. The first word is the word grace. Now, grace is unmerited favor. If someone does something nice for me that I don't deserve, that's grace. Now, without saying, without a doubt, God is a God of grace. In fact, he is the source of all grace. And he manifests that grace in countless ways. He manifests it to all men by giving them life and food and drink, by giving them shelter and clothing, health and strength, by causing the sun to shine and the rain to fall and the seasons to pass. And we call that his common grace. But there is in God another kind of grace that is not common. It is a special, saving, electing grace. And this is the grace that God bestows only on his people. Now, they don't deserve that grace because they have sinned. They sinned in Adam, and they continue to sin against God every day. And yet, God is gracious to them. From eternity, he elected them to eternal life in Christ. And in time, he brought them to himself, 
causing them to hear the external call of the gospel and working faith in their hearts such that they are enabled to respond to the call of the gospel and be saved. Well, this is the kind of grace that Paul has in mind here in our text. He is thinking here of God's saving grace in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now the second significant word in this greeting is the word peace. Peace flows from grace. Where God bestows his grace, there will be peace, which is why grace is mentioned first, and then peace. Now what is peace? Peace is the cessation of hostility. After a period of war, there is peace. That means hostilities cease and trade and normal relations resume. Well, the same is true in spiritual life. By nature, you and I are at war with God. We hate him and we want to have nothing whatsoever to do with him. But when the Lord begins to work in our hearts, he subdues all our opposition. What is more, he directs our faith to the Lord Jesus Christ who has effected true and lasting peace between God and man, and he did it by dying on the cross. And now, instead of enmity, there is peace, peace between God and his people. And you'll notice that both of these, grace and peace, are from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Or we could better translate, through the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father is the source of grace and peace. The Son is the mediator of grace and peace. Now you may ask, what about the Holy Spirit? Well, he's not mentioned here, but he is certainly there behind the scenes. For he is the one who applies to us this grace and this peace that Paul speaks of in this greeting. The point is, Paul greets the Philippians not just with a hi, how are you, but in a distinctively Christian way, with grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when greeting the congregation of Philippi in this way, Paul is not simply expressing the hope that the Philippians might experience and live out of the grace and peace of God. He's doing more than that. As an apostle of Jesus Christ, and therefore invested with the authority given to him by Christ, he is on behalf of God himself proclaiming God's grace and peace to this congregation. He is proclaiming that God is gracious toward them and at peace with them. In essence, he's proclaiming to them the gospel. And the same is true in the worship service. When the minister pronounces the salutation on the congregation, he is saying, as it were, that despite our sins and our transgressions, God is gracious to us, and he is at peace with us. And therefore, we need not fear. We may enter into his presence and worship him with joy. On what basis, you say? Well, not on the basis of anything in us. That cannot be. Because in us there's only sin and shortcoming, but solely on the basis of the atoning work of his Son, Jesus Christ. Apart from Christ, God could never declare grace and peace to us. Instead, he must declare wrath and judgment. But because Christ came into the world, because he suffered and died and rose again, God can deal with his people in grace 
and also assure them of his peace. The psalmist expresses the same truth in Psalm 85, which we read earlier. Psalm 85 appears to have been composed after the exile. And we deduce that, we deduce that from the fact that in verse 1, he writes that the Lord has brought back the captivity of Jacob and has forgiven the iniquity of his people. He's covered their sin. He's taken away all of his wrath. He's turned from the fierceness of his anger. But all was not well, for God was still angry with his people. Now why, we're not told. But the psalmist does express this in verse 7. And he beseeches the Lord to show his mercy and his grace and to grant his salvation to this people. Having laid this petition before the Lord, the psalmist now waits for an answer. He says in verse 8, I will hear what God the Lord will speak. And what will he speak? When we read it, there it is. He will speak peace to his people and to his saints. What wonderful words these are. God will speak peace to his people. How can he do that? How can he do that when they still provoke him by their sins? Oh, the answer is in verse 10, isn't it? Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. What's this talking about? This is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ, mercy and truth have met together. In Christ, righteousness and peace have kissed each other. And because of what he has done, God can speak peace to his people. So what we have in these words essentially is a summary of the gospel. It is a message of grace and of peace. Now, this is why these words are pronounced at the beginning of the worship services, because we need to hear them. Unless we know that God is gracious to us and is at peace with us, then how can we possibly worship him? We cannot. And God knows this. And therefore, at the very beginning of the worship service, he proclaims the gospel. He says, as it were, I am a God of grace and peace. And I bestow this grace and peace on you, my people, through my Son, Jesus Christ. You know, we don't often pay much attention to the address of a letter, as I said. But Paul's letter to the Philippians is no ordinary letter. Here, too, there is comfort. Here, too, there is gospel. Oh, may the Lord give us ears to hear and a heart to respond to this gospel for our comfort and the glory of his holy name. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N. And that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can email us at banneroftruth at frcna.org. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website, at banneroftruthradio.com. That's all one word, banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at 
www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed on your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can visit the donation section of our webpage. Our webpage, again, is banneroftruthradio.com. Thank you for listening, and now, until next week, may the Lord be with you all.